Well, it is so good to be together with you today. And for those of you that we get to join you wherever you are watching online, we're so grateful to be together with you. For those of you that are new with us, I want to remind you of what Joe said earlier. There is a connect card in the seat back of that chair in front of you. Please take a moment, fill that out. And before you leave, go to the welcome table that's by the green wall in the back and uh, give the host there your Connect card. And, and they, we have a gift for you. And I'll tell you right now, it's a bribe because we do want you to come back. We want to spend some more time together. And we hope that you see that this is a family that wants to come alongside you and your family and help you take this journey of life and follow Jesus together. Um, hey, Westside, let's welcome those that are watching online and let's make all of those that are new with us today, let them know how grateful we are to be together today. Will you do that with me? Yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, so today we finished a series that uh, we've been asking a question that I believe is relevant to every one of us in one of two ways. One, it's either relevant to you because you've been asking this question, or two, this is a question someone close to you has been asking, can I trust the Bible? And while in this series we've been looking at, while the Bible informs our faith, it's the resurrection of Jesus that is the foundation for our faith. See, while the Bible informs our faith, something so much bigger and better than the Bible is what the foundation for our faith, and that's the resurrection of Jesus. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus that we have what we call the Bible. And so here's a series big idea that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. It's this right here. Jesus' resurrection gives us the confidence to trust scripture to guide our beliefs and guide our actions. It's the resurrection of Jesus that we, gives us the confidence we have to trust the scripture. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus that we can see the Old Testament as a reliable source to lead us to know who God is, the God of the Bible, that Jesus said, I am who all of these scriptures fulfill. I'm the fulfillment of all these scriptures. All these scriptures point to me. We can see that the scriptures is a reliable source in, that, that we see and we read about in the New Testament, that it just not only guides our beliefs, but it guides us in how we need to live as the new covenant church or the new covenant family. And we, we also looked at in this series that we, the reason we choose to believe the Bible See, we choose to believe the Bible because it is this reliable collection of historical documents that have been written, that were written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. These eyewitness reports, they report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment and of specific prophecies, and they can claim that their, their writings are divine rather than of human origin. This is why we can trust the reliability of what we call the scriptures. And last week, last week we looked at the story of scripture. We looked at there's this big story that you can trust the story of scripture, that there's an upper story that God is telling. And through the scripture, it's made up of these, what we call lower stories. And all these lower stories that when we see them in the grand scale, it's telling a great narrative of what God is sharing to draw humanity into a relationship with himself. And this week, we're going to discover why we should study the scripture, why you need to engage the scripture, not just look at it in more than the daily devotion that you get on Facebook or the email that you send, that you need to be more active in it, engaging it. And so you, and I hope today to inspire you to do that with the scripture so you can see this and help give you some tools that you can use to work this tool. See, because this, this is something that we get to use to lead us in a relationship with God. Now, 
in light of all of that, we need to realize something, that the Bible is a tool. See, the Bible is a tool, not a weapon. And we need to understand this first. See, the Bible that you have, the, the Bible that it, it, it's a tool, not a weapon. And too many people, too many people have used the Bible like it's a weapon and they've used it to get people to do what they wanted to do instead of getting people to do what God wants them to do. And, 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 and in this, to understand that we need the Bible, we need to see what kind of tool it is. It is a tool that is a, the, the perfect tool that God's given humanity to lead us in knowing who God is. It's the perfect tool that God given us to understand who he is and let us guide us. And it's a guide to, into the wisdom of how we need to live the life that God wants us to live. And people have misused this tool. People have abused this tool for their own selfish purposes. And that's when it's become a weapon. See, the Bible is a tool to lead you to know God. It's a tool to lead us to know God, to find life in Jesus, and to follow Jesus as living as part of his kingdom. Because this is the story God has put together in the scripture. It's of God bringing together a kingdom family who lives according to his way of life and not our selfish ways of life. And in this, this Bible that you have that has been a miracle preserved over history is a collection that has been bound chapter verse. It's been bound and passed around miraculously. And this correct collection of writings is how God has revealed himself through, through creation. It's how God has revealed himself through a nation called Israel. It's how God revealed himself through the blessing and the promise of this nation called Israel. His name was Jesus, God incarnate, God who came here as the son of God. He came in the human flesh, fully God, fully man, revealed himself to us, to reveal God to us. And this collection of writings is how God reveals himself through the church and how he revealed himself through the early church. And this is how God wants to reveal himself through us as we are part of this grand kingdom family that everyone will know who our God is when they look at the kingdom family. And that can be an introduction to the grace and the good news and the gospel of Jesus. See, it is a miraculous gift, a tool, that informs our faith so we can know who God is and we can lead others to know who he is. It's a tool that guides us and directs our, our beliefs and how we need to live as part of this kingdom family. It directs you and I in how we need to live according to his, king, his rules and his kingdom way of life. See, it points us to Jesus who is the model for our faith. It points us to Jesus who is the, the epitome of how we live out our faith that we now know to love Jesus means we have to love others the way Christ has loved us. It's a power tool. It's this power tool. And it's a power tool because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. See, the Bible is a powerful tool and must be handled carefully and wisely. Just like you would handle any power tool with care, and you would handle it carefully and wisely, you need to handle the scripture with the same care and, same, and, and with wisdom. This is how we need to approach scripture, with care and with wisdom. And we need to, be, we need to approach it in light, just like you would want your kids to approach a, 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 a circular saw 
The danger of the circular soul is also the power of it can be used for good. We need to understand its power. We need to understand that there is something powerful about it. We need to use it with care because we know that if we don't handle this correctly, it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous in the wrong hands. See, but in the hands of the Holy Spirit, see, when it's in the hands of the Holy Spirit, the Bible is alive, active, and powerfully brings life. The writer of the Hebrew letter that we have in our New Testament, was, this was a, a, a writer that we really don't know who this writer was, but this was so passed around in that first century church that they said, this needs to be a part of the scripture. This was inspired by God. It was evident to that first century script, church. They knew who it was and they accepted this as scripture to them. And they passed this around. They would have been meticulously um, uh, copied and passed around to the early church so where they trusted this writing as scripture. And this is why it's in your your, your canon today or in your pocket today in that app that you have or in that book that you have that you pull out. And the Hebrew writer, he's informing these people of who God is and he writes about how amazing God is and how God, this amazing God has been revealing himself to the world and how this world and we, the church, must respond. The writer points to Jesus being greater than anything created, being greater than even the created angels. He puts Jesus above angels because he is God. He's the son of God. He even puts uh, Jesus above the greatest prophet of Israel, Moses. He puts him above it. And he says, this is who Jesus is. And then the writer does something. He, he points to the narrative of the Old Testament. And he points to the narrative of the Old Testament and he connects it to how God wants to bring his family, the people of his kingdom, his new covenant family into a place of rest. And he does this through the work of Jesus. Just like in the Old Testament, the Israelites, would, he, God wanted to bring them into a land of rest. Jesus is the one who brings our souls into an eternal rest. See, it, the, Jesus is the one who brings your soul into, a, uh, into the rest of salvation. It's God's eternal word and it's his eternal work in our life. Then the Holy Spirit inspires this Hebrew writer to write this. In Hebrews 4, the writer says this, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who, to whom we must give account. God uses his written word that has been preserved over time in the miracle that ways that it has. He uses the written word to penetrate our hearts, to penetrate into the depths of who we are. And the reason is, is because he, God wants to bring life to you. This is why the word of God is alive and active. He, God wants to bring you into his life, but he has to do it just like a surgeon would open you up and lay you bare. 
because it wants to fix you. The surgeon wants to bring life to your body. God does this to our souls and he penetrates, his word will penetrate to the depths of us, revealing us to ourselves. See, as you read scripture, something powerfully happens. When you engage scripture and you begin to read scripture, scripture begins to read you because it's alive, it's active. It goes into the depths of our hearts. It penetrates down. It divides our, our thoughts from our attitudes. We see this, that it goes to the depths of us and even accesses the depths of our attitudes that are hidden even to ourselves. It reveals our hearts to us and we can't, we're deceived by our own hearts, but the scripture shows us that of where we are even deceived. And, and, and in this, God does surgery even on our attitudes, Attitudes that we don't let God accessible to others. Attitudes that we might not let accessible to be accessible to God. And maybe, just maybe, this is the reason we don't like to engage it. Maybe this is the reason why many people don't like to read the scripture. Because as they read the scripture, the scripture begins to read us. It lays us bare and exposes us, not just before our God, it exposes us to ourselves. And then it, and then, then it, it then leads us. You know, scripture does? It leads us to do what our sinful, selfish nature doesn't want to do. It leads you and I to deny our selfishness. It leads you and I to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus, Jesus would say, if you want to follow me, you want to follow me? Come. All who want life, you can have life if you follow me, but here's the way to life. It's not to indulge yourself. That's what culture says. It's to deny yourself, to die to yourself and follow me. You want to follow me? You want to find life in Jesus? Well, scripture is going to lead you to deny your selfishness, to die to your selfishness and follow him. This is what scripture does. Scripture reveals the words of Jesus who taught us these things, that life is in him. And because he is resurrection and life, we can know that his way to life is the way that we want life. We can find life in all these different ways, or we can choose to find life in his way of denying ourselves. Jesus would say this. John would record this. He goes, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. You know the what, another way to say the flesh is your selfishness. You know what your selfishness gets you in life? At the end of life, what does selfishness get you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But Jesus says, the spirit gives life. And he goes on to say, the words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and life. When we approach these scriptures knowing that they bring life, when you engage scripture knowing that there is life at, at, because of who writes and who inspired these scriptures, that God, the Holy Spirit, you is, has inspired these words to bring you to know God and to know God is to know life because he himself is life. That when you trust the words of Jesus and these inspired words of God, not because they're just in a book, but you trust these because of the resurrection of Jesus, then you're going to have the confidence that his words are life because he came back to life. 
Jesus, who said he is the resurrection and life, it said all these scriptures point to him. And when you engage this, it's going to lead you to know God who wants to give you life. But it's not according to your selfish way of life. It's to his way of life. This is why God has allowed this book to be bound and passed around because it want, it, it's God's tool to help us know God. So you can trust the Holy Spirit. So you can trust the Holy Spirit to bring life to your soul as you read scriptures to know God and follow Jesus. This is a powerful book and it's a powerful tool. It's a power tool. And just like any powerful tool, this can be misused and it has been misused many times and abused. Too many people have misused and abused the scriptures and it's hurt too many people. See, when in the wrong hands, the Bible becomes misinterpreted and is used as a weapon that can destroy someone's faith. It has been misunderstood. And the reason it's been misunderstood is because it has been interpreted with selfish purposes. It's been interpreted because we want to interpret based on our own biases, based on our own experiences. We want to interpret it based on what we want in life. And so we read scripture based on what we want instead of looking at scripture to submit to what God wants in life. Many people then, the irony is, is, is generations have avoided scripture. And the irony is that what we have avoided is what we need most. They avoid it because people have misinterpreted it and misused it. And it's been misinterpreted because people interpret it based on our own personal biases. And we don't want to submit to God. We don't want to submit to what God wants for us. And when in the wrong hands, scriptures become abused and scripture becomes misused. And we've seen this happen too many times in histories, too many times in today's age. We've seen it abused and misused. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us as we journey through this scripture with a Jesus-centered community, because you're not just working with the Holy Spirit, you know you're also, you need to do this in community with other Christ followers because this is how in a Jesus-centered Christ, a Jesus-centered community, a Christ-centered community, you need to journey through the scripture together. And in this, that God, you'll use the scripture to grow your faith because the Holy Spirit's work with you, in you as you're engaging in it. And as you engage in this together, he grow, God uses the scripture to grow your faith and the scriptures then direct you, direct you in how you can believe in the God of the Bible as revealed in Jesus. And you can follow him and it shows you how to live as part of this new kingdom community that we call the church. And this is why I want you to be in a Christ-centered church. This is why I want you to come back on a regular basis because we are so focused on Jesus, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus. This is why I want you in groups. I want you in Christ-centered communities all during the week. I want you to be engaged in it. And I don't want you to read scripture alone, but we need to read scripture and engage in it together. We have to do this together to grow. And that's all of what I want to share with you today. I want to help you grow in your faith. I want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And so today's teaching big idea is this. To grow in our relationship with God, you must know the scriptures, work the scriptures, and live by the scriptures. To know, to grow in your relationship with God, we must know the scriptures, we must work the scriptures, and we must live by the scriptures. We cannot grow in our relationship with God without engaging scripture. Many people think that they can, hey, I can do this, but I, I can grow in my relationship with God, and I can grow my faith, but I don't, I don't, I, I really don't understand the Bible, and I'm, not, I'm just going to keep it at a hand's length, because I've seen people misuse it and abuse it. No, 
You cannot grow in your faith and keep scripture distance because God uses the word. Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is the message of the word of God. It informs your faith. It informs your faith because Jesus said, all these Old Testament writings, they point to me. It's all a pointing to him. And when Jesus reveals himself, this is why you read the gospels because you get to know Jesus and you read the New Testament because this is how we live out our faith in this new community that we call the church family. In this, we cannot grow in our faith without reading the scripture, engaging it and knowing it. We can't, we can't grow in our faith without working the scripture. Just like I, if I gave you a, a power tool and you never knew how to work it, you'd have to learn how to work it in order to get the most out of it. And, and, and then we have to live by it. And, and you can't grow in your faith without reading it, working it, and living by it. Now, right before the Apostle Paul, who is responsible for most of the New Testament, right before he dies, he's in prison, and he writes a second letter to his protege named Timothy. And we have this in our collection of writings in our scripture called Second Timothy. And in this, he encourages Timothy, to, his protege, to be loyal to the gospel message of Jesus, to be loyal to the good news story of Jesus. In this, he says the good news of this grand story is, is a story that God's been sharing and has been revealing and it's climaxed in Jesus at just the right time. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, this is the grand story of the good news. And he said, I want you to be loyal to this as he's been loyal. He tells this to Timothy. And he would describe to Timothy to be loyal means to suffer for the sake of this good news. To be loyal to that gospel that saves us means that we are set apart, that we live differently, we are holy. And he would tell Timothy to, to, that you're holy to accomplish the purpose that God has set for you. Paul then tells Timothy that so many people had deserted Paul he, he, he tells them that many people have walked away mainly because of the things that Paul had suffered for his faith. Maybe these people too didn't want to suffer like Paul was suffering, so they had to separate themselves from Paul. And Paul said they didn't understand the gospel. They didn't understand what it means to be loyal to the gospel. And then Paul writes in this letter to Timothy and something powerful, something that is so inspired. And I want you to hear it today. And this is like a fourth quarter speech to Timothy. He says this to his protege, Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now just pause right here. Why do you think Paul told Timothy this? You know why I think Paul told Timothy this? Because this is exactly what being a disciple is. This is exactly what being a disciple is all about. Jesus said that, that, that I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. And this, I believe, is what discipleship is. He tells Timothy what discipleship is. He says, what you heard me say, you entrust to reliable people so they can be equipped to teach it to others, so they can teach others. You, we have to, this is discipleship. What you learn, you need to share with others. You need to be in a place around others that you're learning. And then you need to be in a community of people that you need to be sharing this with others. This is how we fulfill the great commission of baptizing those in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost by going in all the world, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. Paul would say to another church, follow me as I follow Christ. He's telling Timothy the same thing. 
This is why I believe you, what every one of us need to be doing. We need to be disciples. And you cannot be a disciple unless you're learning from others and you're learning from Scripture and you're, unless you're sharing what you're learning with others. And now here comes the fourth quarter speech. You ready for this? This is awesome. He goes, join with me in suffering. Isn't that awesome? You know, in the context of this, he's about to die. And he looks at Timothy. He's writing. I, I believe he pictures Timothy. He, he's not present with Timothy. His heart wants to be with Timothy. He begins to write. Join with me in suffering. Let's do this together. He goes on to write. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And then he tells Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Reflect on these words, Timothy. Reflect that, that you need to, who's your commanding officer? It's not me, it's Jesus. Who's, who, don't be caught up in all these civilian things that people get caught up in, Timothy. Compete as an athlete does. Do it by the rules. Know what the rule is. No, live by it. And reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Don't give up, Timothy. It's almost like he's saying, don't give up. Have grit, persevere. Don't try to live according to the world getting caught up in how the world lives. Follow Jesus. And then he goes, reflect on this for the Lord will give you insight. We need to reflect on scripture. He says, reflect on these words and, and we need to reflect on also on the words of the scripture. We need to reflect on this. We need to do this in community. See, the Holy Spirit guides us in truth. This is what you, the Holy Spirit's work is. The Lord guides us just like the Lord will guide Timothy. The Holy Spirit guides us in truth as we work hard to know Scripture so we can love Jesus, become like Jesus, and share Jesus. We need to reflect on Scripture. The Holy Spirit guides us in this truth as we reflect on Scripture. The Holy Spirit guides us in the truth as we are in pursuit to know Jesus and respond to his gospel by following him. Paul goes on. Remember Jesus Christ. See, he puts it all back to Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. And at this point, Paul connects the story of Jesus with the story of Israel because he was a descendant of David. And this is how Jesus fulfills what the scripture has. And he goes on to say, this is my gospel. This is the good news story I share for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. I want you to see what he says next. But God's word is not chained. Paul can be chained, but God's word cannot be chained. You can try to chain people, and, but you cannot chain God's word. And he's saying, hey, I'm chained, but I want you to know God's word cannot be chained. They can stop Paul by chaining him, but they can't stop word. I love what the Isaiah, the prophet, the Old Testament prophet said, God's word will never return 
void. This is the word of God that is alive, active. It's powerful. And you cannot bend it to how you want to use it. You cannot, it's going to be what, you got to use it according to what God wants it to be. And we cannot make it what we want it to be because it cannot be changed. We must learn to submit to it and not try to make it submit to us because God's word cannot be chained. God's word cannot be controlled or manipulated. Therefore, Paul goes on to say, because it can't be, God's word cannot be chained. I endure everything, every suffering, every sickness, every persecution for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul's saying, I endure all this I endure all this persecution for the sake of the gospel, saving those who choose to trust in Jesus. The story of Jesus, as it's revealed in scripture and founded in the resurrection, gave Paul the power to face the persecution. And then he goes on to say something that is so inspiring. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. But if we are faithless, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Aren't you glad that our God is faithful? Aren't you glad that he never changes? For he cannot disown himself. Your God never changes. Jesus, the Hebrew writer would say, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is God revealed to you and I. He never changes. And because God never changes, his word never changes. And then he goes on to verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Keep reminding God's people. There's an implied ownership of being in a Christ-centered community that we need to continually be. This is why we want you to be in a Christ-centered community because then you can remind each other of these things. You can encourage one another. You can help each other endure. You can be reminded just like Paul was reminding Timothy of these things and we can also remind others. Paul goes on and what he says next is we need to listen to because the church was getting caught up in unnecessary arguments that were distracting them from the mission that God had given them. And this is what Paul says. Warn them, warn them, warn them, warn them before God against quarreling about words. Now I thought about just making the whole teaching today about this. You laugh because you know why. Our culture is caught up in a quarrel. And I'm not talking culture in there. I'm talking the church culture. It's caught up in a quarrel about meaningless words that distract us from the mission of purpose that God has called us. And he, this is what Paul says to Timothy. These Quarrels about words are of no value and only ruins those who listen. Timothy was in charge of the church of Ephesus. He was an overseer in Ephesus. There there were much things that they were quarreling about. We know quarrels that, that were destroying the church in Corinth. And we know, and he and Paul addresses all of these in these letters that, that he would write to these churches. And in this, he says, we need, to, we need to warn them against quarreling about words because and, and some of us need to listen to this and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. And, and in this, if it has no value, why are we talking about it? Look at what he says. It only ruins those who what? Listen. See, it doesn't ruin the people who are arguing. It ruins those on the outside. And let me say this with caution. I said it in the first service. I wasn't planning on it, but I'm going to say it again today in this service. See, in this, we need to be so careful about what we quarrel about and get in arguments on Facebook and social media. 
I'm saying this as sincerely as I, I am not on Facebook and social media and, and I don't know what you're talking about. So there's no judgment on this, but I do know what happens and we need to be careful because you know who it's ruining? It's ruining the people who listen. We need to be cautious. We need to be careful. We need to do it wisely. And then what Paul says, we need to, we need to realize, and now Paul addresses the, the challenges and, t- and challenges Timothy this way. Do your best, do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best. You know what that implies? A lot of hard work. And in fact, he kind of talks about this. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. He's telling Timothy, you got to correctly handle this tool. That, that, that this is a tool that, that you need to work it. You need to work it according to the way it's supposed to work. It's this, it, it works for you when you work it the way it's according to the way it's supposed to work. Handle this truth correctly. Handle it correctly. And then he goes on to say, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become even more ungodly. Those who mishandle this word, those, those who indulge in this godless chatter, that, that, that they, they become more and more ungodly. And then he goes, so what's he saying? Our conversation needs to be in truth. And we need to handle that word of truth correctly. God's truth, not what we think is truth, but how God revealed that truth. And he goes on to say, their teaching will spread like gangrene among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. He names these guys out and who have departed from the truth. And here's what they were doing. They say that their resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. See, when it's misused or misinterpreted, it destroys the faith of others. And what this was, it wasn't the resurrection of Jesus. They were, these people were saying that the, the second coming or the resurrection of the saints has already happened. And so if you missed it, you know, too bad. <laughs> You're not in the elect. It was destroying the faith of many people. It wasn't the gospel. It wasn't according to the word of truth. So how do we need to handle this word of truth correctly? How do we do this? I want to give you, I want to close real quick. And these are just ways that I'm not going to be able to show you. This is a journey. This is a journey I want you guys to do together. And I want you to learn how to do this correctly. So I want to give you some practical ways to do this. First is this. We got, to, we got to know it, work it, and live by it. So how do we know it? We need to know the upper story that proclaims the gospel of Jesus. You need to know the upper story. You need to engage scripture. You need to read the Bible in its entirety. See how all these little individual stories come, are a part of this grand story that God is writing. We need to know the upper story of, the, of that. And when we know the upper story, it helps us know the structure and layout of the Bible. See, you need to understand the layout of the Bible. Did you know the Bible is not laid out chronologically? Many of us think that the, because it begins with Genesis that the rest of the scripture is laid out chronologically. No, no. The pattern of the way this was canonized and the way they felt led to canonize this was based on how the Hebrews, first of all, in the Old Testament canonized it. And then in the gospel writings, it starts with Jesus and then it goes to these, uh, this, 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 uh, this church history and then how the church lived out this history. And then it's this final book of Revelation where God redeems and he does, he, he wraps up exactly what he started in the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation. And in this, there's a sequence I have there. You see that sequence? And I've got a little way to help you remember this. It's 5, 12, 5, 5, 12, 4, 1, 21, 1. I love rhythm. I'm a drummer. I get it. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12, 4, 1, 21, 1. I know this is a little juvenile, but it helps me remember. It may help you remember. You may need to get the recording to remember this. But 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. You know what this is? It's five books of 
Torah, five books of this oral tradition that was passed on, started with Moses, and then later was recorded that we call the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Then we have 12 historical narratives, 12 books that tell us how the nation of Israel, how God was pursuing the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel was in pursuit of the land that God had given them. It tells them of the ups and downs, the turning away and the coming back to God. We have five books of poetry and wisdom. These books of poetry can be found throughout, I mean, poetry can be found throughout the scripture, but there's five books dedicated that are wisdom and poetry. And then we have five books written by major prophets. These major prophets contain predictions of history. They were voices called by God, inspired by God to call out Israel's sin, to call them back into the covenant that they established with Yahweh, with the God through Moses. And then there's 12 books written by minor prophets. Even though they're minor in, in length, they are major in theme. These minor prophets are meaningful, containing prophecy, pronouncements of judgment with calls to repentance and come back to God. They, they are full of, of hope of a promised Savior who would come. And then we have the four Gospels that are all about this promised Savior who would come. Jesus, the Messiah, the, four, the, the forecasted one who would come and save the world from their sins. Jesus, we have the four Gospels. And then we have the narrative, the historical narrative of the church getting birth. This church, the book, the book of Acts, is the early church account of its inception and expansion under persecution. And then we have 21 letters that we call epistles that were addressed to specific people and they address specific issues. And then we have one book of prophecy. And see, we need to know the substance of these writings. They're not all the same and cannot be read the same way. See, we need to understand that, that we need to become familiar with the writings of Scripture, that with the different writing styles found in the Scriptures, and we need to learn to identify them. And these are four of the basic prose of, or the writing styles. There, there's, there's narrative, there's poetry, there's prophetic prophecy, and there's these letters. And the style of the writings determine how we read them. And therefore, how you read them is how you need to interpret them. See, you can't read narrative in this poetry the same way. Narrative is a historical story that is written in a strategic approach. You need to understand how the narrative is. Poetry is written with pictures, and we need to read it in mind of that to help, it's used to help the reader experience truth. Prophecy is mostly ethical. In the Old Testament books of the prophet, in the Old Testament prophetic books, they were calling the mosaic, the, the, the people back to the Mosaic covenant and, the, and, and, and according to that covenant. In the new covenant, the, the book of pro, the prophecy, the apple, uh, 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 the apple, uh, I'm not even going to try to say apocalypse. I can't even say it. I got caught up in my words here. So the book of prophecy, Revelation, is all about the new covenant Jesus has established. And I'm going to try to say it by the end of the day. I'm not going to do it right now. Apocalyptic writings. I had to slow down. Yeah, thank you. I'll be here the rest of the day. So in this, we need to learn how to see this. We need to learn how to read these. Because that helps us interpret this. We need to do what Paul tells Timothy. Do your best. Study to work hard in understanding the scripture. And we need to understand these things. And, 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 and we need to work the scriptures. So we need to work the scriptures. Just like my kids look at that window handle, that crank, and, and they, try to, they have no clue how to work that thing. 
Or you get you give someone that a rotary phone. Some of our kids, the rotary phone, ring. You know, you had to remember. You couldn't just say Siri call. Um, it, you know, we got to teach them how to work this. We need to learn how to work the scripture. So we need to work the scripture to know their meaning to the original audience. We got to do this. We got to work the scripture to to what does it mean to to the original on, audience? And to do this, we need context and content. We need to see the context and the content. Because scripture cannot mean something different than it meant to its original audience. And we cannot work the scriptures to mean what we want it to mean. We have to work the scriptures according to the way God meant it and God inspired these writers to mean it. So we need to discover the context and the content by asking who, what, when, where, and why. This is how you get to the original meaning. This is how you work it the way God wants you to do it. Understanding the historical context, understanding the literal literary context because the words can only find their meaning within the context of the scriptures or the sentences that they are used. You can't take this outside of that. That's where it gets its context. And so we have to observe then what did the original audience learn about God or learn from God. This is how we work it. We must learn what the audience learned before we begin to interpret its meaning in our life. And then last, we live by it. We live by the truth of the scriptures. We let them shape our beliefs and transform our actions. This is how the Holy Spirit changes us. He uses the scriptures. The Holy Spirit of God uses the words that he has, has these words that are eternal words to bring life into us. And as we engage it, It engages us in the innermost parts and brings life to us as we choose to realize it, to not just read it, but to work it, understand its meaning to the original audience, and then begin to live by the truth of what it is supposed to be for us. Because Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, we have the confidence to engage the Scriptures. And we have the confidence that when we do this, the Holy Spirit is going to bring us life as we know it, work it, and live by it. Then you will be equipped to handle this word of truth correctly because this is what we are called to do. And we'll then be able to entrust this to others. And this is why I want you to be in the Jesus-centered community who follows Jesus by loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus as scripture leads us to do so. Now, before I leave, I got to share with you an exciting thing. So last year, uh, the pastoral elders here and our, past, our parents of our pastoral elders at Lenexa, they asked me, or they actually requested that I take a sabbatical. And I was honored by this because I've never taken a sabbatical. And, and I just said, hey, I, I can't do this in 2020. And so I want you to know that I have the privilege and I have the high honor to be able to take a sabbatical in the month of July. And I want you to know that this is a gift that, they, that you have given me, and I am so grateful for this gift, and I'm privileged to be able to do this. I, and just to say, I want you to know nothing is wrong. It's been something that's been in the works a long time, and I'm honored to be able to do this. And I'll tell you the reason I get to do this is, not, is because of our, our staff, it's because of our pastoral team, and it's because of all the leaders here who serve. Westside Family Church is not the great church that we hear it is because of me or any one of us. It's because of all of you. It's all you who serve together. And I want to thank you 
I want to thank you. And this is a gift that I see as a privilege. And I'm so grateful to be able to take this. And I know that as I leave for the next, uh, uh, for the month of July, I'm going to just be gone the month of July. And I'll be with you on August 1. That I'm, I know that you're in great hands with our pastoral team and our staff and all of the leaders here who serve. And before I leave, I want to just pray for you. But I want to let you know about two things. First is next week, it's July 4th. We do not have kids services in here. We do not have kids services, but we have busy bags because we want your kids to be here in the service. It's going to be so much fun together next week. So come back next Sunday. And then after that, I want you to know that um, we're doing a series that I'm bummed I'm not part of because I love RVing. And we're doing a series called RVs. It's about God recreating us to be vehicles that are used for his purpose. We're recreation vehicles that are called according to Christ. We are new creations. And he has recreating us so we can join him in this work of restoring others back to their relationship with God. You do not want to miss this new series that begins on July 11. Now, will you stand? Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really am grateful. Would you stand with me? Let let me just pray us out today. Father, um, I pray right now, um, and I just thank you for sending Jesus to bring us into your family through his life, death, and resurrection. Thank you that we are part of the spiritual family that Jesus has called us.